church family. What a blessing it has been to worship this morning. Thank you to Matt and the team for leading. And I trust that uh, we will enjoy something of the Lord's blessing this morning. If you have your Bible, uh, please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. Uh, That's the key text I want us to jump off of this morning. Uh, Proverbs has many things to say about your emotions, and so that's one of the things we wanted to look at in our series. Uh, But what you see when you read it is that uh, the emotion that is mentioned the most, perhaps, is that of joy. It says a few things about anger and bitterness, but but the, the idea of blessing and joy and pleasantness is something that Proverbs promises us and points us And that's what I want to look at this morning. Uh, Our text says this quite simply, Proverbs 17, verse 22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. I'm not sure if all of you know this, maybe the young people not so much, but if you've ever watched a Charlie Brown Christmas Uh, You know that in a season as joyful as Christmas, Charlie Brown is still Charlie Brown. He's sad and anxious and fearful. He's discouraged and troubled when everyone else around him is happy. He is sad. Despite Despite the fact that it's the season of joy, Charlie Brown is joyless. At one point, Linus, his friend, Linus is the one that carries the blanket around, by the way. Linus says, Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. Uh, Luffy is right. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Browniest. (laughs) To be honest, as I search my own heart, as I wrestle with my own struggles, I feel like a Charlie Brown. My heart easily becomes discouraged. It easily gives way to, to sadness and easily downcast. Despite the fact that we are called to, to be joyful, realize this is one of the, 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 the most command, biggest commands in Scripture. We are commanded this the most, to be joyful, to be glad, to be happy in our God. And we have so many reasons to be thankful. Yet to my shame... I find myself often discouraged, failing to be joyful. And perhaps you're like me. Perhaps you struggle with that as well. Perhaps you also feel yourself to fall into this Charlie Brown syndrome. I know some people are different. Some people are more optimistic. They're not easily discouraged. But there are others who are pessimistic. And so they find themselves easily disheartened. Yet realize, regardless of who you are, seasons of despair and sadness are unavoidable. Uh, Consider what Proverbs says in chapter 14, verse 13. Here you go. Even in laughter the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. Now, what's the point there? Grief, despair, heartache, discouragement are part and parcel of life. 
And what is more, not only is despair and, part, and, and uh, disheartenment part and parcel of life, Proverbs would tell us that there is no greater burden than despair. Consider this troubling proverb. Proverbs 18, verse 14, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? See, what that's saying is this. You can have a resolved spirit. You can have the, the will to survive, and you can bear, therefore, various physical sicknesses. But a spiritual sickness where your spirit is crushed, where your will to survive is dead, that sickness is unbearable. See, that's why there's no greater burden to bear than, than despair. I wonder, have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that kind of despair, that weight on you that crushes you, a despair that nothing can lift, a despondency that, that buries you? And notice, not only, does this, not only is this crushed spirit unbearable, this spirit, our passage says, dries up the bones. It sucks the life and joy out of you. It makes you a perpetual Charlie Brown. And so the, the question really is, the question we have to ask, the, the question I'm asking is this, how do you treat dried up bones? What's the remedy for a crushed spirit? Is there medicine for the unbearable spiritual sickness of despair and discouragement. And our text says there is a cheerful heart, Proverbs says, is good medicine. See, according to Proverbs, a cheerful heart gives life to the flesh, Proverbs 14.30. It makes a cheerful face, Proverbs 15.13. It enjoys continual satisfaction and joy, Proverbs 15, verse 15. See, a joyful, glad, tranquil heart is what revives and refreshes and renews a discouraged person. Just look at Proverbs 15, 13. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. See, if a sorrowful heart crushes the spirit, then the implication seems to be a glad heart is able to restore it. See, what matters ultimately, dear friends, is the state of your heart. Your joy, your happiness, your surviving despair and discouragement doesn't depend on the externals. It actually depends upon your heart. A joyful heart is medicine to a crushed spirit. Now, if that's true, if a joyful heart is good medicine, then the obvious question becomes, how do we get a joyful heart? Uh, here, I think Proverbs helps us. It gives us seven prescriptions for a joyful heart, seven prescriptions that I think will help the heart become healthy and happy once more. But before we look at these descriptions, we need to remind ourselves what the Bible says of our hearts. And why must we remind ourselves of what the Bible says? Because you cannot give medicine to that which is dead. 
I realize, according to the Bible, the heart by nature is full of evil, Ecclesiastes 9.3, and therefore plans evil continually, Genesis 6.5. The heart is, is foolish, Proverbs tells us, 22.15, and it therefore rages against God, Proverbs 19.3. A heart, therefore, is, is not to be trusted, Jeremiah 7, 17, 5, because it is deceitful above all things, uh, verse 9. And therefore, a heart, according to the Bible, is hard. It's impenitent, Romans uh, 2, 5, and be, because it's, it's dead. It's a stone, uh, Ezekiel 36, 26. And so realize we have a greater problem than we realize we have a heart problem. And until God intervenes and, and gives us a new heart, and until he takes out that heart of stone and, and gives us a living heart, all these prescriptions is like giving medicine to the dead. It, it won't help. If the question is then, how do we get a joyful heart, then the answer is this. You actually first need a new heart. You need God to give you a new heart through His Son and through His Spirit. In fact, that's how I think we ought to uh, approach these prescriptions. I think we need to approach them in and through Jesus, who is our great physician, who is able to, to give us a new heart, who's able to revive our hearts who's able to administer these prescriptions so that our hearts would be healthy and happy and joyful, even in the midst of, of our struggles. And so the first prescription I want to suggest to you this morning from the book of Proverbs is this, love, wisdom. Love, wisdom, this ought to be the first and most obvious prescription because throughout Proverbs, joy, delight, blessing are the effects of having wisdom. Uh, look at uh, chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. Blessed, how, how else can you translate that? Happy, joyful, content. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver. And her profit than gold. She's more precious than, than jewels. And nothing you desire can compare with her. A long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. All her paths of peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Or consider Proverbs 24, 13 to 14. My son, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. And then it says, know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cast off. I trust you get the point. In wisdom, there is blessings, there is delight, there is joy, there is pleasantness, there is sweetness for the soul. And therefore, seek wisdom, diligently search for her, love her. Chapter 4, verse 6 says, Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. And so realize wisdom is necessary for joy. 
But perhaps we need to ask the question again, why or, or what is wisdom? Is, is it just knowledge? Is it just knowing certain things? Is it just downloading certain data? No, no, to be wise, remember, is to live skillfully. It's to live wisely, skillfully in God's world according to God's precepts, God's ways. And when we do so, there is joy to be had. The opposite is true as well. If wisdom leads to joy, foolishness, going outside of God's ways, living not according to God's will, Foolishness secures despair. Uh, listen to how, the, the, how folly entices her victims. Uh, chapter 9, verse 17 to 18. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten is secret and pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. See, folly plom- promises pleasure, but actually delivers death. Now, why, why bring this up? Why emphasize this? Because I'd venture to say that often our lack of joy is a result of a lack of seeking wisdom. Our, our joylessness is often due to not seeking God's ways. Our lack of joy is, is caused by, by foolishness. We often go our own ways instead of walking God's ways. And the result is, is joylessness. We're not walking in the, 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 the sight of God according to His ways. And so heed the call of wisdom then in, in Proverbs 8.35, verse 36. Wisdom says, forever finds me, finds life, and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. And so for the sake of joy, set your heart to love wisdom. Set your heart to to follow God's ways, to obey God's will, to, to live skillfully for God in His world. Think about it. We ought to love wisdom because ultimately wisdom has loved us. Isn't Jesus the the wisdom of God? Isn't he the one who who calls us to himself to find life? Isn't he the one who who shows us the paths of pleasantness? Who opens him up for us? Isn't he the way, the truth, the life, the one who leads us to the Father? See, for a happy heart, give your heart to Christ, the, the wisdom of God. Because in wisdom there is joy, there is delight. So, so that's the first prescription uh, I want you to see, love, wisdom. Secondly, and closely related, is this pursue righteousness. Uh, pursue righteousness. Righteousness, as we saw in our first sermon, is really a result of wisdom. And, and therefore, righteousness, too, leads to wisdom or leads to joy. Uh, consider Proverbs 10, verse 6. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Or 29.6, an evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. 
See, see, the righteous are marked by joy. It may suggest to you this joy comes from not merely having wisdom, loving wisdom, but it comes from having a clear conscience. A clear conscience before God. Listen to Proverbs 8, 28, sorry, 28 verse 1. It's a proverb all about the, the power of the conscience. It says there, the wicked flee when no one pursues. Now, why do the wicked flee in fear without any threat? Well, it's because their conscience bothers them. They realize the guilty conscience and the awareness that, that sins have been committed and, and, and that sins are, you're accountable to God for them, that awareness leaves the wicked person anxious. Perpetually so. After all, Numbers 32, 23 warns us, be sure your sins will find you out. And so a guilty conscience leaves a person unsettled, anxious, fearful. Paranoid. Haven't we perhaps felt this at times? Perhaps at times our joylessness has been a result because we know we've transgressed. We know we've sinned against God. We, we know we've tried to hide our sin. And, and our bones waste away. You see, a defiled and guilty conscience eats away life. It, it robs joy. Yet notice the contrast. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as, as a lion. See, the righteous have a clear conscience. Why? Is it because they're sinless? Is it because they're perfect? No. No, they have a clear conscience because they've walked before God uprightly, consistently, wholeheartedly, and even when they've sinned, they return to God. They, they bear their sins before God. They, they take it to Him. I think of David. We know David is a great sinner having preached through Second Samuel. We know that he's unrighteous. We know that he's a, a great sinner. Yet we also know, according to the Scriptures, that he's declared righteous. Why? Because in his sin he returned to his God. He says this in Psalm 32, as he reflects on his sin, he says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose, heart, in whose spirit there is no deceit, no hypocrisy, no hiding away of your sin. You see, blessed are those who, who take their sin to God. And remember, those blessings are yours if you're in Christ. See, at the cross, Christ covered our sins because at the cross, He, he paid for it. And, and therefore, because of the cross, He no longer counts those sins against you. At the cross, you're able to have your conscience cleansed and declared righteous before Him. See, the righteous have their sins covered, and therefore the righteous have a cleansed conscience, and therefore they have boldness. They have confidence. They have joy in their God. They don't need to run away from their sins or because of their sins, because their sins are forgiven. And if that's you, 
There's joy for you there. Consider another proverb, Proverb 13, verse 9. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. What does that mean? Well, listen to John Kitchen as he explains it. He says, the contrast seems to be between the joyous vitality of life enjoyed by those who pursue a course of righteousness and the self-defeating, self-destructive path of those who pursue their own path. And so, dear friends, for the sake of joy, set your heart to pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness, standing in the righteousness of Christ's. Take your sin to Him. Cleanse your conscience by Christ. And there's joy there then. For a happy heart, give your heart righteously, wholeheartedly, fully to Jesus. A third prescription to consider is this receive counsel. Receive counsel. Realize when discouragement and despair set in, one means that God has given to us for our good is the counsel of others. Uh, others, I hate to break it to you, are a source of joy. Consider a few Proverbs, chapter 12, verse 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Or chapter 15, verse 23. To make an apt answer is joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. The 16.24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and a health to the body. Uh, 25, 11 to 12, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Or finally, 27, 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Did you get the point? One of the means through which our hearts are gladdened is through encouraging words from friends, through gracious, sweet, earnest counsel. One of the Puritans pointed out quite rightly that, that in your despondency, often what you need are others. He says this, avoid all unnecessary solitude as much as possible. Keep honest, cheerful company. Why? Because you need others and are not sufficient unto yourselves. God will use and honor others as extensions of his hands to deliver his blessings. I'm sure you would agree often when you've been in a season of discouragement, it's often been that one word, that counsel from a friend that, that's lifted the fog. That, that lunch or that supper or that breakfast, whenever it was where you sat with, with someone who loved you and they, they poured into you and brought joy. See, see I, I, I'd venture to say that often we, we get discouraged because we isolate ourselves, we, 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 we focus in on ourselves, and that isn't helpful. What Proverbs would tell us is that we need others. 
Listen to this proverb. It's an interesting one. Uh, Proverbs 14.10. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. Now, every commentator will tell you that this means that no one else knows what you're really going through. No one knows your bitterness. No one knows your joys. And no one can, can effectively even communicate your feelings. In, in a sense, that's true. No stranger shares their joys, their bitterness. But the question that I should pose is, is, surely friends do. Surely friends weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. See, we, we need others, and we need to open ourselves to others. I think that's actually what this proverb is saying. It's, it's calling for, for vulnerability, to, to this willingness to actually receive counsel, to receive those gracious, sweet, and earnest counsels that, that lift up the soul. Again, I wonder, perhaps anxiety weighs our hearts down because we haven't opened ourselves to those sweet, gracious counsel. And realize this is one of the blessings that, that Christ gives us. He, he gives us not just himself, he, he gives us the local church. He gives us brothers and sisters in the faith, those who can come alongside of us, and it's through them, through one another, that we enjoy the blessings of his hands. See, we become the extensions of his blessings when we actually come alongside one another as, as his bride, as his body. I, I think Hebrews, therefore, is appropriate for the discouraged believer, for the despairing Christian. And let us, not, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And so, dear friends, do not isolate yourself. Don't go it alone. No, for the sake of joy, set your heart to receive counsel. For a happy heart, give it to Christ and allow Him to encourage you through His people, through the church. So one means of, of, of receiving joy is receiving counsel. Fourth prescription is this, make peace. Make peace. Listen to chapter 12, verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. This proverb seems to be telling us that what we seek for others, we bring upon ourselves. Now, Kidner says this, the, the plans you shape, shape you. And the idea is this, if you pursue peace with others, there is joy. But if you devise evil, you are not only deceived, but you bring upon yourself evil. You, you rob yourself of joy. That's why Paul exhorts us, Romans 14, 19, So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. See, there's a mutual blessing in pursuing peace. After all, Jesus said, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. And how does he carry that on? For they will be called sons of God. See, see, the Son of God made peace. He, he made peace between us and God. And so when we are peacemakers, 
we not only reflect something of His character, but we fulfill His purpose for us. Now, now I, I think this is necessary because it's easy for us to live with broken relationships. It's easy for us to kind of ignore the people that you don't really like, right? It's easy to, to live past them and, and know they're there, but not really give thought to them there. And may I suggest to you, when we live like that, in our personal lives, or even, God forbid, in the church, we rob ourselves of peace, we rob ourselves of joy. Instead of encouraging one another, instead of giving and receiving good counsel, we often find ourselves fighting, striving. And the result is relationships that ought to be conduits of joy become cesspools of, of strife. And, and so for the sake of joy, whether personally or corporately, set your heart to make peace, pursue mutual upbuilding. In a sense, reflect Christ for a happy heart. Give it to Him and reflect Him in it. A fifth prescription is this, not only make peace, but have hope. I'll spend a bit more time on this one because it's so important. At least two Proverbs speak about hope and tie it with joy. Consider Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. In context, the idea here is that a fulfilled desire, which is likened to a tree of life, seems to describe not just liveliness, but joyfulness. If you look at verse 19, it says there, a desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul. And so the idea is this, when a desire becomes reality, it's like eating from the tree of life. We all know that from experience, don't we? The moment you get what you've longed for, the moment you finally have that, that's a moment of joy. It's a moment of relief. It's a, it's a moment of satisfaction, delight. But it also highlights the problem we struggle with, and that is the dread of waiting for it. Our desires, our hopes often aren't always fulfilled, at least not immediately, and that in and of itself robs us of joy. I may suggest to you, when you find yourself despondent with unfulfilled desires, I'd venture to say this, give yourself to right desires. Revive joy by having right desires. So often, joylessness creeps in because we're longing for the wrong things. I consider, therefore, the second proverb that ties hope with joy. 10.28 says this, the hope of the righteous brings hope, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. As with all people, both the righteous and the unrighteous have their hopes, they have their desires, they have their expectations, their longings, their dreams. They want those things fulfilled. Yet what's being said here is this, the righteous will have their desires fulfilled. They will experience joy. But the wicked will never. The wicked will always have their dreams unfulfilled. I consider Proverbs 10, 28. What the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. 
or 11.23, the desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. Therefore, as one commentator says, the righteous will see life not as a bitter disappointment, but will have their fondest hopes fulfilled. Now, how does that work? How do we actually have desires that are fulfilled? Well, they need to be righteous desires, don't they? The righteous have their desires fulfilled because they desire God. Uh, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of yours, your heart. What's necessary there? Your heart needs to be set on God. Or Psalm 145, 19 to 20, He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him. But all the wicked He will destroy. See, the thing to realize is this. The hope that causes joy is the hope that is set upon God. And this is particularly true in seasons of discouragement, in seasons of despair. Do you remember how the psalmist in Psalm 42 comforted himself? He didn't listen to himself as Martin Lloyd-Jones said. No, he, he preached to himself. What did he say? As a, a Psalm 42 verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I will again say, I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. See, one remedy to discouragement is renewed hope. Renewed hope in the God who, who fulfills the desires of the righteous. Renewed hope in the God who is the salvation of His people. Psalm 40, 146 verse 5 therefore says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Uh, consider one more proverb on this. Uh, 16 verse 20. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. In other words, whoever thinks on and remembers God's word will discover good. They will be encouraged. They will be blessed. Uh, look how, how it carries on. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Now, why does thinking on God's word lead to joy? Well, because the scriptures reveal to us who he is. It reveals to us His perfections, His plans, His promises. All of these things are the objects of our joy. When your joy is gone, when you're downcast, when your hope has waned, what must you do? Go to God's Word. Set your hope on who He is. Set your hope on what He's doing. Set your hope on what He's promised. In fact, go to His Word with Christ, the incarnate Word. It's all about Him, really. All of God's promises, all of His perfections, all of His plans culminate in Christ. And so, for the downcast, you read, study, meditate upon God's Word, be enveloped by it, and in time you will come to learn what the psalmist learned in Psalm 94, 19. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my, home, cheer my soul. And so for the sake of your joy, when you find yourself discouraged, 
set your heart to have hope in God. Set your heart and fill it with God's Word. For a happy heart, give it to the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me move on. The next prescription naturally moves on from this, and it is ultimately this, fear God. Fear God. Consider what the outcome of fearing God is. Proverbs 3, verse 7 to 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be yielding to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. Or 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. Realize a heart that fears God is a blessed heart. It's a heart that rests satisfied in God. And therefore, the fear of, the, of God, the fear of the Lord, as Charles Bridge just says, is the very soul of happiness. Now, I, I know that goes quite contrary to how we typically think of fear. For many, fear, quite rightly, is an unmistakable thief of joy. Think about it, whether it's the fear of loss, the fear of pain, the, the fear of loneliness, or, or whether it's the fear of death. The fear of sickness, the, the fear of, of losing that loved one. Fear robs us of joy. It robs us of satisfaction. But, but realize the fear of God is different. How so you ask? Remember what the fear of the Lord is. To fear God is to have a God-centered worldview. It's, it's to, to live all of life as before God. It's to realize that, that all of life is in view of God. He is in control of it. He's bigger than all of life's problems. See, see, when compared to God, all of life's fears meet their match. I was Spurgeon who famously said, the fear of God is the death of every other fear. That's why Proverbs 14, 26 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. You, you have security. You have safety in fearing God. I, I love how John Newton put it. Uh, he said this, if the, fear, if the Lord be with us, we have no cause of fear. His eye is upon us, his arm over us, his ear open to our prayer. His grace sufficient, his promises unchangeable. And so I may suggest to you that the fear of God is the death of all other fears, fears that would otherwise rob you of joy. Perhaps it is the case that we become discouraged, we become despondent because we've allowed life to get bigger than God. We've allowed our fears of the problems of this world to overshadow our God. If so, for the sake of your joy, set your heart to fear God. For a happy heart, give it to Jesus who makes God not just a dreadful God to be feared, but your Father, your Father who loves you, your Father who cares for you, your Father who listens to you, your Father who provides for you. For a happy heart, fear God in Christ. Uh, so then we've looked at six prescriptions. Uh, we've looked at loving wisdom, pursuing righteousness, uh, receiving counsel, make peace, have hope, fear God finally, and we could have perhaps even put this last or first. It's this, 
choose joy. Choose joy. Realize this is a decision you need to make. This is something you need to actively pursue. Uh, to, to, to see this, consider with me uh, Proverbs 15, verse 13 to 20, oh, uh, verse 15, sorry, 13 to 15. It says this, a glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on folly. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. Notice what's being told us here. The glad heart is also a heart of understanding. It has discernment. It's a heart that, that while fools feed on folly, it seeks after knowledge. And what benefits does it get from seeking knowledge? Well, where others experience affliction and evil, it eats at a feast, a feast of joy. Realize these are, these are teaching us this, that what we set our hearts on colors our experience. What we set our thoughts, our attitudes, our affections on determine whether or not we are afflicted with evil or whether even in the midst of evil we eat at a feast. It's saying what your state of your heart is matters. Now, perhaps Keller has said it easier than I have tried to explain it. He simply said this, happiness is a choice. A glad, joyful, happy heart has chosen to seek knowledge. It has chosen to seek that which is good and true and beautiful. It meditates upon that and fills itself with joy. Uh, what Paul said of pursuing peace is true of joy as well. Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Why think on these things? Why fill your heart and your mind with these things? Proverbs, I think, would say, so that you would have joy. Therefore, choose by choosing the good, the true, the beautiful. I, I again wonder, perhaps, it's the case that we lack joy because we set our hearts on all the wrong things. All the entertainment, all the politics, all the concerns of this life. And it robs us. It dries up our bones. Now, Wearsby said this way, wrong thinking leads to wrong feelings. And before long, the heart and mind are pulled apart and we are strangled by worry. And we would add distress and fear, despondency. See, so often our discouraging weighs us down because our hearts have been seeking the wrong Things. And so, therefore, for the joy, for the sake of joy, set your heart to choose joy. Don't set it on the wrong things. No, set it on the best things. And who better than Jesus? Who better than the Son of God who, who came to save us? Who came to make us His own? 
At the beginning of the message I shared, uh, Proverbs 18, 14, a, man, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? In, in one sense, the answer to that is no one. No one is able to, to fully understand and fully bear the, the weight of despair. But in another sense, the question to that is Jesus. At the cross, he was crushed. He bore the spiritual sickness of sin. He, he carried the anguish of despair. He embraced the darkness of deception and, and realized there has not been and there will never be a more dark and more despairing moment than at the cross. And Jesus endured that moment for us. He carried our sins so that we would be forgiven. He, he took our shame so that we would be honored in his righteousness. He, he bore our despair so that we would not be crushed by it. And, and therefore, cast your anxieties, cast your burdens, as Peter tells us, on him. Why? Why? Because he cares. See, if you have this Jesus, you have plentiful reasons to rejoice. Thomas Brooks said this way, you have more mercy than misery. And so therefore rejoice, be glad in Jesus for a happy heart, for joy. Seek him, give it to him, fill your heart, your mind with him. Uh, we're going to sing a song now. Uh, it's from Sovereign Grace. Listen to the second stanza. Take the world, but give me Jesus, sweetest comfort of my soul. With my Savior watching over me, I can sing, though the billows roll. May that be the confession and the joy of our hearts. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the the encouragement and the counsel that it gives. I thank you that you have not left us to wallow away in our discouragement, in our despair, but you have spoken, you have given us your counsels, but above all, you have given us your Son. And so we pray, dear Lord, that we would look to Him more and more, that we would trust in Him, follow Him, obey Him, that our hearts and our minds, our affections would be carried away with Him so that our hearts would be cheerful, so that our lives would be cheerful, so that we would be glad and rejoice in You as our God. Uh, forgive us for the many times that, that we allow ourselves to become the Charlie Browns of this world. Forgive us where we forget that we have a reason for joy in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so may He even be magnified. May He even take these truths, these prescriptions, and apply them to our hearts. We ask this all for Your glory and honor's sake. Amen.